Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for all things Olympiakos FC and Greek football. You are listening to episode 40, aka midweek series number 19. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with my co-host Ari Bulubasis. Unfortunately, we are missing Lambro today, but he will be back very soon. And we are with our special guest today from the Shoot the Defense podcast, Stelios Stylianou. Stel, how's it going, man? Hey, I'm great. Thanks for the invite. It's a pleasure to talk to you guys face-to-face because over Instagram, it's a little bit difficult text and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. <laughs> it's not great, Thanks is it? Me. Yeah. We're very happy to have you on as well, and we're excited to get into it. We've got some Super League talk and also some talk about the Cypriot League uh, going back to Stell's origins as well. So we are very much looking forward to that. Before we do really get into it, we have a few quick announcements to make related to the podcast. We have our episode coming up on Monday, January 4th, our first episode of the new year, featuring Adi's former coach, Yanni Katrisiotis. Uh, he also coached U.S. World Cup champion Carly Lloyd, as well as a bunch of other successful American soccer players who've played at the Division I level in the States. Uh, he was also a former Olympiakos Academy scout and a Tromitos player. So he's got quite the resume, and we're excited to see what he knows about the world of football, which I'm sure is quite a lot. So that one's out on Monday, January 4th. We don't actually have a special guest planned as of now until February 17th, when we will be joined by the PSV podcast to discuss the Europa League round of 32, which of course includes Olympiakos versus PSV. That episode will come up right ahead of the first leg, so right before that game. And we are very much looking forward to hearing about their team and discussing pre-match. As always, we'd also like you to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International has been importing and exporting cargo for companies and individuals for over 40 years. They can assist you in importing olive oil, marble, or any other goodies from Greece. They can also assist in exporting, whether you have one box or a full household of items that need to be sent over. Check them out at PiraeusIntl.com, spelled like the port in Greece, and give them a call at 410-675-4696. I've been told uh, by Adi and Nambro that I actually have a package from Piraeus on the way to Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Maybe it's on its way right now, so we'll see what the deal is with that. Hopefully something fun for the holidays, but a few quick Super League news notes and other things before we get into it. We actually do have uh, an article written about our podcast, uh, which you can view on 2future4u.gr, U, just the letter U. Uh, it's getting traction in Greece. They did a nice little write-up about our podcast, and we are very, very grateful for that. If you'd like to give it a read, go check it out. That's 2future4, the number 4u.gr. Getting into transfer news, transfer windows opening up soon, and the block is getting hot, folks. We've got a lot of stuff to report on. The main thing that we're going to start off with is Olympiakos' search for a left back. So there's been a whole bunch of names thrown out in the mix, but the, the main one recently is Moldovan international Oleg Rebchuk, who plays in Portugal for Pazos Ferreira. He's looking like a, a decent young player, and it seems like Olympiakos are targeting him as the first option. There's been a lot of reports in the last few days. It seemed for a while that he was off to Porto as well. Now, remember, Porto stole Zaidu Sanusi, our number one option in the summer from us. So it would be an absolute catastrophe if Oleg went there as well. But good news, and this is courtesy of Luis Silva, big Porto fan and our former guest, 
It seems like Rebchuk does not want to be a backup at Porto. He would rather come to Olympiacos and play. So the most recent update is it's looking good. We might have Rebchuk in a red and white shirt by the end of the transfer window. That's what we have so far. That's looking very good. We love to see that he wants to play. He wants to come and he wants to be out on the pitch because Ruben Vinagre did not want to be out on the pitch. He wanted to be in Glifada with his girlfriend taking pictures. So we're very happy to see that. The other two names still hanging around are Dalbert, who is god-awful. Um, Martial from Olympiacos, France, can attest to this. He's very bad. And uh, Bjorkan, who's not bad. You know, I'd take him uh, if Oleg falls apart. But he's, you know, from a smaller league, and we don't know as much about him. So maybe Rebchuk is the best option here. The name Mateus Rice is still sort of around, but I've been told that Sporting are also in for him. So he's probably not going to be on his way to Olympiacos. We'll hope for Rebchuk to be with us by the end of the window. For the, not the upcoming podcast, but next week's midweek series, I'll have a deep dive on Bjorken and Rebchuk, and then I'll compare them to Rice to see which left back is kind of the best option. I'm not even going to waste my time with Dalbert because he's just awful. I don't think I even need to. Uh, but I'll have a little bit of something that way everybody can kind of see what we're getting with each one. We've already done a deep dive on Rice back in episode 15, I believe it was. We did a deep dive on him. So I'm really just going to be comparing him and more more specifics on Bjorkan and Rebchuk. If you want a deep dive on Dalbert, you can go back to our previous episode, Boozing with the Boys, where a drunk Lombros talks about the Instagram comments on all the Olympiacos fan posts talking about him. That's about as deep of a dive as we're going to get for that. So give that episode a listen if you haven't already. Uh, on to more news. Good news today. Uh, Ahmed Hassan, who has had coronavirus and was experiencing some very dangerous side effects from the virus, uh, it, there was actually some doubt if he would ever be able to return to football in the rest of his career. He has been cleared to train. He posted a message on social media just thanking everyone and um, you know how grateful he was. And we're all very happy to see him back, both for the team and also just it's nice that you know he gets to play football again. He's a good guy and he deserves it. So that's good news that we're very excited to hear. Uh, moving over to Pauk. They are making some moves in the transfer window. They've actually signed two of Volos's best players, Amir Warda, who is formerly of Pauk, and Tazos Duvikas, who is a promising young Greek striker that we saw when they played us. This is uh, an interesting one, and uh, we said some things that people didn't like on social media because if you look at this one on the surface, Volos are pushing for a top-six finish. They're pushing for the championship group, which, of course, allows them to compete for European football. And they've just sold their two best attackers, their two main goal threats in the middle of the season. And uh, from what we can tell, these, these moves just came out of nowhere. Uh, relatively little negotiation. Pauk have had some dealings with Volos in the past. They've loaned players out there. They sold Warda there at the beginning of the season, and now they've decided they want him back. Um, so, you know, especially Pauk uh, literally owned another team in the Super League last year, Zanthi, who have since been relegated. They need a new toy to, uh, to feed them players. And I, maybe Volos is that team. And, you know, some people on Twitter weren't happy with the reality there, but that's just the way we see it. It doesn't look very good for Pauk right now. I don't want to hear any of this nonsense from these clowns from Northern Greece. Absolute clowns. Coming on Twitter, telling us that, oh, Libyakos has the same thing. We play friendly games. Every damn game in Greece is a friendly for us. All the other teams in Greece suck. Falk included. 
you know, maybe you guys should take a, a, a page out of Adis's book and sign our rejects because they're doing better than you with our rejects. I, I don't want to hear this crap. People sign our scraps, and when, when they do it for us, it's collusion for us. But Balkan overnight come in, reca- reclaim players that they gifted to Volos overnight, and there's no negotiation. They're going to say we collude. Utter nonsense, utter garbage. And I still haven't seen any of those clowns give me any examples that I asked for uh, on Twitter. So utter clown show, but what do you expect from Northern Greece? Yeah, do we have Bruno Gama coming in on like a cheap fee to Olympiakos just as Adis are trying to win the league? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> if if Adis were actually our feeder club, you know, that's that's what we would have going on. Do we have Binakas coming in under the same negotiations that Dubikas had? No, we don't. That's what we would have if Nadisa were our feeder club. So quiet down. That's all I have to say. Do a little Jose Mourinho hand signal. Quiet down. Um, moving on, actually, to Adis. They've made a couple moves. Um, they are linked with Swedish international striker John Gudetti. And they are also linked very strongly with Nicholas Ioannou, who is available on a free transfer. He actually was with Olympiakos's sort of feeder club, to be fair. But, you know, our feeder club plays in the Championship of England, and they're called Nottingham Forest, and that's allowed. Um, it's quite obvious that they have the same owner. Uh, anyway, Ioannou, he's a left back. He was with Nottingham Forest. His contract has been cut short, so he's basically available on a free transfer, and it looks like he will land in Adis. We wish him the best, and uh, we'll see what he ends up with. Is this the same Nicholas Ioannou that was at Man United's academy and then went to... Uh... Aboel, that horrible team that play in yellow. I believe that's correct. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Things I, I know his mum, so I can't really say anything bad about the guy, but he played for them. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, continue. His mum has liked a couple of our tweets. So Oh, she's lovely. She's yeah, she's lovely. very lovely. We've engaged so, with her a couple of times. She's a shame, lovely shame, shame her son played for the, that lot. But again, <laughs> it's in the past. All's forgiven. Oh, he's not there anymore. And... Uh... Maybe they're missing him a little bit. I, I will, we'll get into Apoel a bit later, maybe. But anyway, yeah, Yuanu headed to Adis. A couple more uh, news points. Kururis, who we mentioned it was linked with Olympiakos, the former Pauk striker currently at Toulouse. Looks like he's going to move this winter, and, and you know, it seems like he'll be back to Greece. But he's been linked with Ike. So, you know, maybe Lambro will get the Mitroglu move that he wants, and Kururis will not be in red and white. Uh, moving on to the coefficient update as we close out on 2020. Adi, what are we looking at for the coefficient, the UEFA coefficient right now? Where's Greece? It sucks. Greece is back where it began in 18th. In 18th. If everything ended right now and we went to next year to see where we started, we would actually be 19th because our best year five years ago would be behind us. Uh, The teams that are kind of around us now would all be ahead of us. Um, Cyprus, which is in that coveted 15th spot, would be even further up. They'd be in 13th, um, looking way better than Greece does. It's, it's, it's really bad. We had a great opportunity with three teams in European competition to really make a push for the coefficient, and we did nothing. Red Star carried Serbia's coefficient better by themselves than we did with three teams. It's, it's disgusting. Now, on the bright side... We do have a little bit of an advantage here uh, because all the teams that are around us also only have one team left. Cyprus, obviously, Ammonia didn't make it past the group stage, which we'll get a little into with Stell later. Uh, Denmark has no team in Europe as well, so they're stuck. They're still going to be out of reach for the coefficient, but there's a small opportunity here. Um, Red Star ended up drawing Milan, so that should be two losses. 
which should give us, if as long as Olympiacos gets past PSV, it'll get us pretty close maybe to that 16th spot. Switzerland, uh, the young boys drew Bayer Leverkusen. Again, Bayer Leverkusen outclasses them. Ideally, it should be two losses. Um, the, the Czech team, Slavia Praha, they drew Leicester City. Again, should be two losses, so no coefficient game for them. And then on right on our back is Dynamo Zagreb, Croatian team. They're playing Krasnodar. It could be a split there. Uh, hopefully they don't progress because that would really hurt. Uh, and then Maccabi Tel Aviv is playing Shakhtar. That should be two losses. So I think, you know, comfortably we should stay in 18th at the worst. Hopefully we can make that push and get into at least take the 17th spot from Switzerland, give us a better start next year. Yeah, let's hope Olympiakos, as we've talked about, can bring in that left back and hopefully make the push. And uh, we'll see what happens with that. Now, Stel, let's get into the reason you're here. We're going to talk some Greek football, some Cypriot football, some European football as a whole. But first, we just wanted to ask you about your background. Uh, obviously, you're part of the Shoot the Defense podcast. You guys have had a lot of success. And you're a big fan of Omonia, as we've really just mentioned. Also a big hater of Apoel. So um, <laughs> when did you start watching football and when did Omonia become your team? Oh, blimey. So I'm, I'm 40 years old now. Um, and I've been a football fan since probably 86. Um, my English team is Man United. That's the team that I followed as a youngster. And people say, well, why Man United? Well, most of my friends were United fans. My dad was a United fan or is a United fan, probably because of Munich. Um, and it just continued from there. And then United obviously got a lot of success. And immediately you're, you're tagged the glory hunter. But then you remind people that you've been to everywhere to watch United, Moscow, uh, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and then they shut up. But um, Omoni is a team that has always been close to my heart because a lot of my relatives in Cyprus are Omonia fans. Um, one of my uh, long-distance relatives was a commentator and actually on the board of Omonia in the, in the 90s, Mario Karamalagi. And um, I'd say up until the, the Glazers took over at United, um, not that I didn't have an interest in Omonia, I obviously had one eye on them but because of the tv rights because of the way that broadcasting changed in cyprus it was very difficult to keep tabs on games even they didn't even show highlights on youtube so it was mostly just checking online checking on the local newspaper the local cypriot newspaper or greek newspaper for the results and obviously speaking to relatives out there but in the past four or five years I've become even more emotionally invested in the club because of what's been happening with Manchester United, with the ownership. Um, and the money is, is more, how can I put it? It's more like a family club than what United have ever been. And I'll be honest with you, I started doing videos on Instagram about two years ago. And the, the amount of love and support I've had from Omoni others has been absolutely immense. If I did that with Man United... I'd get people threatening me, wanting to kill me, all this kind of nonsense that you see on social media. But I think in Cyprus, they're not used to seeing uh, a challi, is what they call us, um, do things like this. And it was fun as well, because I know Matt Derbyshire. Matt's a very good friend who, as you guys know, played play for Olympiagos. And, you know, he was mentioning me on, on, on Instagram and I got to know some of the other players that are, are still at the club. And it's kind of snowballed out of control. You know, every time I'm on here play, I'll do a video. Uh, in fact, I might do five or six videos prior to the game. And uh, it's just snowballed out of control, but it's fun. You know, you've got that, that banter with other, other club supporters. And while I've had the odd death threat from Aboy Listes because of a prank call I did on, on their offices at the beginning of the season, <laughs> it's been fun. 
Um, but that's the long answer to your question as to you know, how long I've been a football fan. We're talking about 36, 34 years, 34 years, yeah. So tell us about the, the Shoot the Defense podcast. Ah, <laughs> wow. <laughs> where would I begin with that one? So <laughs> it started back in 2012. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always been a big fan of podcasts. Uh, I'd say since 2009, 2010, I had a job where I was traveling up and down the country and podcasts helped, you know, you're driving on the road or you're in a hotel or you're just in the office and you're bored shitless and podcasts helped. And and one day I was watching, it was during Euro uh, 2012, I had a friend round and I said, why don't we just do a podcast? Because we talk about football anyway. He goes, all right, let's do it. He knew nothing about it. So I just got my phone out got the voice recorder, downloaded a bit of software called Audacity, which is what I use to this day. And as I said, I just uploaded it and I got 34 views, or sorry, 34 listens, 36 listens, 40 odd listens. And um, again, I, I grabbed a couple of interviews with some former uh, footballers, one of them called Leon Knight, who is a very, very good friend. If you Google Leon Knight, you'll see a few stories about him. He got into trouble with the police because he had a bit of a back and forth with the former Spurs player, Jamie O'Hara, about his wife at the time. And um, Leon came on the show and he told us about his time at Chelsea. He was a youth academy player. He was with Casiraghi. He was with Viali, with Zola, with Deschamps, with oh, wow. Desai. Yeah, John Terry he grew up with. And the stories that he had were phenomenal. But it wasn't his time at Chelsea which really stood out. It was his time at Brighton where he scored some important goals to get them promoted. It was his off-the-field shenanigans. It was his time at Swansea City and the comments that he made about certain managers. It was, And it just blew up from there. People started listening, listening. And then from that, I started getting interviews from other ex-players, players who you probably have never heard of, who were playing back in when I was younger. But then I got the likes of Stelios Anagobulos. I got Gostas Gatsuranis. Um, I eventually managed to interview Paul Pogba for NBC Sports. It's, it's been a, a very wild adventure, to be fair. Lots of highs and lows. You get setbacks, you get criticism. But when I was young, I wanted to be a journalist. But back in those days, it was a case of writing a letter to the BBC or another local newspaper and hope they get back to you. These days, because you've got YouTube, you've got Twitter, you've got so many different platforms to promote yourself and get that content out, it's so much easier, but then you can also reach out to people. And yes, Shooter Defense was born through two guys that were just talking about football or soccer, as you guys call it, maybe. <laughs> and um, as I said, it just spiraled out of control. And it's it's fun. It's fun. One of my closest mates is Rodri Giggs, who's uh, Ryan's brother. Um, and he's my co-host on Shooter Defense. We've been doing it together for about six years now, seven years. And it's been it's been a roller coaster. And, you know, you guys have been doing a podcast. I don't know how long you've been doing it, but just getting your friends together, talking about football, making memories. It will come to a point where one day you look look back at or listen back to shows from four or five years ago. You say, wow, our content has changed so much. We've improved in so many different areas, but I still wouldn't change it for the world. That's so cool, man. Wow. Um, it's Yeah, and it's funny. I mean, we've only been in it for, what, three or four months, Adi? Like, it's not been... Since August, yeah. Yeah, since August. So hopefully we eventually reach, you know, the highlights that you guys have have experienced as well, you know, getting to interview such a big squad of players, really, and uh, keep having fun with it. You know, It's crazy when you think back at it, Peter, because 
you know, I was in the same position as you guys were uh, yeah. eight years ago. And I, I thought to myself, ah, this isn't going to, isn't going to last. It, it's going to be like a two, three year thing. I'm going to get bored. But then you get the bug. You become addicted to it. I remember interviewing a female football correspondent in India about the Indian soccer league, who at the time they had Matarazzi, they had all these other players because they, they just created their super league. And I was up at four o'clock in the morning interviewing this woman about this, this league. And my wife was like, she was getting up and I'm wrapping up an interview. You know, She's like, what are you doing? I'm saying, well, this is what I do. It's, it's fun. But, you know, you can do so much with a, a podcast. I've got my UEFA accreditation. So I went to the Champions League final when, when it was in Cardiff, uh, Real Madrid Juventus. Yep. And I was fortunate enough to talk to the likes of Roberto Carlos, uh, Ruud Hullet. Um, I'm just trying to think of the names of, of people that I spoke to. It was crazy. You know, Gabriel Marcotti. I don't know if you ever Gab wow. Marcotti. You know, Gab, you know, he and I on on good terms, you know. But when I saw him there, he looked at me, he goes, wow, what are you doing here? How, how did you manage to get here? Because he was one of the first people I interviewed. And I was saying to him, one day I want to be like you, being at Champions League finals. And there we were, bumped into each other outside toilets. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. But, you know, the, the only advice I can give to you guys is just enjoy it. Just enjoy it. Because one minute you're seeing it as a hobby, next minute it's a chore. And you don't want it to become that. So just enjoy it, boys. Honestly, it's wicked. And that's good um, in, in, we, in UK. So, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have been. And when we got this started... Uh, I knew I was a little bit apprehensive because I didn't think this was something I could do. But at the very least, I think it was Lambro that said it, you know, at the very least, it's just us talking about football with each other. And in the end, that's what we love to do. And that's kind of what happened. And we've been having an absolute blast. Now, uh, I really wanted to ask you about that Derbyshire interview. I loved Matt Derbyshire when he came to Olympiacos. He was one of my favorite players at the time. And I was gutted 100% gutted when Ernesto Valverde took over and then he just leaves and finds a new or we later find out that he wasn't Valverde's type of striker he even said that on the interview you guys did with him so how did you two be, uh, become friends how did you two get connected where was the history behind that it's funny because <laughs> I remember being at Old Trafford uh, year 2000 and I want to say 2007 and Man United played Blackburn and Matt Darvish scored the opening goal. And um, I, I cursed him so much. I cursed him so much. <laughs> you wouldn't believe because we were so close to winning the title and we ended up winning the game. And then fast forward X amount of years, he joins Omonia and he's scoring goals left, right and centre. And even though we didn't win the title, you could tell that Matt was just a nice guy. You know, he, he wasn't getting into trouble. You know, he was good with the fans. He was doing so much for charity. He was doing all sorts of bits. And it was so, how can I put it, refreshing. Because a lot of players that join Cypriot teams, they don't really have a rapport with supporters. They don't really become immersed in the club. But because of the history around Omonia, the breakaway from Abo in, you know, 72 years ago there's so much history with the club so when Matt joined Omonia I was like wow we've got a striker because he did fantastic well Olympia goes you know won the Greek oh, yeah. Cup he did, it was brilliant um so when we signed him it wasn't a case of oh he's just here for the paycheck because they don't really pay too much in Cyprus so right. he wanted to play football so you know we started doing I started doing a few videos on on um Instagram 
And then I reached out to him on Twitter, believe it or not. And it was actually a friend of mine put out a tweet. He goes, which footballer would you like to follow you the most? And I tagged Matt. I says, you know, my captain. And he knew who I was because I always say my captain on, on the Instagram videos. So he put <laughs> two and two together and he, he started following me. And then we started talking on Instagram, got each other's numbers. He goes, look, I can't do an interview just yet with you because I don't know what's going on with Omoni at the time because we were challenging for the title last season. And... Um, he goes, well, definitely we'll do something sooner or later. Next thing you know, he announces he's going to leave the club. In fact, he told me about three days before the, the news broke. Um, but because he's, a, he's such a nice guy and because we talk on a regular basis and he knows about my family because I've told him about my family and obviously his family I don't know too much about, but, you know, he can tell that I'm a family guy, he's a family guy, etc. So I didn't say anything and out of respect for him. And I actually shed a tear when he left, you know. Yeah. He's, like I said, it, it's not just because he's a cracking footballer. He's a nice person as well. And when you when you have a player like that, who, as I said, the fans become invested in and he becomes invested in the fans and he's always saying the right things and he also embraced the culture, which, no disrespect, there aren't that many English players who go abroad and become immersed in different cultures. Yep. Uh, we, we've seen so many players in the past, like look at Gareth Bale, for example. You know, best example I can give current footballer, he went to Madrid I don't know if he speaks Spanish, but given his behaviour, given the way that he's treated the club, you, you know he doesn't care too much about Madristas. He, do, he really doesn't. No. But Matt cares about Olympiagos fans. Yep. He still mentions them in, in, in his Twitter, in his uh, social media. He cares about Omonia fans. So that's the kind of person that you'd love to have at your club. I think I saw... It, like someone asked Gareth Bale in Spain if he speaks Spanish and he basically said like I can but I don't like to do it in front of people something like that that's a cop out 100% 100% no, no. like and it's it's funny because um I know he's not an English player but uh he played in the Premier League uh this kid Ruben Vinagre who came on loan to Olympiacos and classic situation of like this kid just wants to come to Greece to like be in the warm weather and like live in Athens and all this nice stuff and he just wants to have a a jolly old time and walk the greek super league but he comes in and just plays like garbage and you can just tell he doesn't want to be here he doesn't care about the team he doesn't care about like what the team are trying to accomplish and like i can relate that's so frustrating and like i think the premier league culture the english culture is just like oh we're the best league in the world like this is this is farmer's league over here i don't need to try like these fans should be lucky to have me i don't need to stay after to give them a signed jersey or whatever like so it is i i see what you're saying it's very nice uh and it's great to hear that matt is a, you know just a stand-up guy like that and it's so cool that you've gotten close with him as well and got to get that interview and that's one of the reasons i loved him when he came i mean i had friends and relatives that were in greece and would watch him play and said the same thing you know they would come they would talk to him he was really nice and i just remember it was big not just derby games but like derby playoff games at the time and he always showed up and he left it all on the field and that's what you like to see how many players have we seen at Olympiacos I'm not as familiar with Amonia but we've seen players come and you're just like this guy doesn't care he's walking Rivaldo is he one <laughs> actually you know Rivaldo's one that probably everyone will give a pass because of the pure class on the field and how good he was with the ball these people but yeah uh there there are plenty of others we have some you know Peter already mentioned Vinagre. We've had plenty in the past that were like that. But Matt had plenty of passion, and he showed up. He knew what those derby games meant. 
he immersed himself in that. And that's something I respected because I never expected a British player to do that or to care. And he changed my mind completely. And he was somebody we were joking about at the beginning of the podcast. We were like, hey, look, we should try and see if we could reach out to like former players, Matt Derbyshire. He'd be amazing to have. And then you went and had that interview, and it was amazing to hear all the good things he said about Olympiacos. Well, I can have a word. I can have a word. In fact, I'm, I'm messaging today, funny enough, because they won today, MacArthur. They won this morning. They beat Western Sydney Wanderers in the, in the derby. Mm. That's his first game, and they won 1-0. So I messaged him. I says, oh, I like work for you guys. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll just, we'll just carry on these, these results. He's very modest. Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, I'll, I'll ping him over a message. I don't know what time it is in Australia now. It's probably like, what time is it now in the UK? I it's think it's the morning in Australia. We've had a couple Australian guests, and I'll tell you what, it's, it's quite the headache to coordinate a time yeah. <laughs> for them. Yeah. Yeah, try try doing a podcast with someone in America and someone in Australia, which is what I've done. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the UK, you're like, uh, is midnight all right for you guys? And the thing is, <laughs> yeah. we've been we've been doing because uh, our our other co-host is in Greece right now. Unfortunately, he couldn't join us tonight. But oh man, we have like three. We're managing four different time zones: US, Canada. He's two hours behind me. Then Lambro's like six hours ahead. Then oh. Somebody's usually up at 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. It's an absolute mess. We're getting pretty good at. I saw you, I saw your Instagram story the other day. Yeah, didn't you have like six people on at one time? Oh my god! Yeah, that was boozing with the boys. That was a complete a special one-off. edition. We a we tweeted edition. out the we tweeted out the link and let anyone join. Oh, my it was god. a fun time. Absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. But this is it. You, we... you make memories, man. You make memories, and you know, totally. like, even just I still remember just sitting at my dining room table. I had six of my friends around. Just talking about football and the arguments they're having. I'm thinking the kid is asleep upstairs. My next door neighbor can probably hear six louts. <laughs> you know what is going on? And on top of it, we're all we're all Cypriot as well. So bad oh, yeah. enough, my next door neighbor was like, you know, EDL. Oh, these foreigners. Brexit means oh, Brexit. That kind of thing, you know? <laughs> Get out of my country. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. the beautiful thing though about football I mean, it brings everybody together the discussions even when they're arguments the whole thing the whole thing is fantastic and you love to have that and that's something i hope that you know we can continue to have and all as all the greeks come together we can continue to build that up mm. now jumping into specifically ammonia now before we kind of go in with your the Omonia's individual experiences and the games they had against PSV and then of course Balk, you know Lambro's not here, so we have to make fun of Balk somehow. <laughs> um, but we wanted to know how you felt. We'll start with Champions League during the qualification campaign up to the playoff when you played against us. You played against Libyakos. What was your emotion after the results of that? Did, were you satisfied? Were you disappointed? Was it kind of expected? How did you feel about getting to that playoff point and then losing in what I thought were two pretty close contests? It's a difficult one because we didn't technically win the league last season. Right. Um, in Cyprus, they played each other twice. Um, so it's 22 games and then the league splits in half. Mm-hmm. So... Well, I wouldn't say half. So the the top six play against each other in a playoff. The bottom six play each other just to determine who finishes the bottom six. And the the bottom two teams at the end of 22, um, at the end of 22 games, immediately get relegated. We were top of the league at the time on head-to-head because I noticed we had a better goal difference and better goal scored. But our head-to-head was better because I think we drew the first game and then we beat them 1-0 at home. 
And then the playoffs began and then COVID struck and right. they cancelled the league. So they just left it as it was. No one was awarded the title, unfortunately, because we'd have been on 21 now. Um, but they just said, well, I'm only your top. So they go into the Champions League qualifiers. Now, I don't know if you guys are probably aware of this, but Abuel are obviously more successful in Europe than we are. They got into a couple of Champions League campaigns. They've had some very successful uh, campaigns, beating some very decent teams. But mm -hmm. it's them and uh, anything they do tarnish <laughs> as far as I'm concerned because they're frauds. But anyway, I'm not going to discuss them because it's like talking about anything that's under my shoe. Um, so we, we've never qualified for a group stage in, in Europe. We've gone to right. preliminaries or what they're now called qualifiers, but we've never got to that main stage. So when we drew Ararat away, uh, the Armenian champions, I was joking on my Instagram saying, oh, we're playing the Kardashians, you know, in their own backyard. Um <laughs> And they have a, a few decent players. One of them, I forget his name, he played at Newcastle for a bit. And we beat them 1-0 away from home. Um, extra time goal from Thiago. And I thought, ah, that's, that's a good result. We'll take that because no one really thought we'd progress into the next round anyway. Then we got drawn against Legia Warsaw, a team that Henningberg knows oh so well. And we beat them 2-0 away from home. We beat them. And the thing is, it wasn't... Uh, a smash and grab victory we did very well tactically uh, we knew what they were going to do put the ball out wide and pop the ball in the box for their six foot two yeah. striker to get his head but our two central defenders Lufner and Lang were phenomenal that night they they gobbled everything up uh, we got a 2-0 victory again that was immense absolutely immense my my Instagram messages were going crazy man I had like 120 messages at full time it was mad um, and then we drew against Red Star Belgrade and at the time I thought this is a bit suspicious for me because at the time um, they appointed uh, Dejan Stankovic beginning of last season. And Stankovic was an ambassador for UEFA prior to getting the job at Red Star. And I thought, well, we're kind of like the easiest team in the draw. So him being a former UEFA ambassador, maybe that's a little bit, you know, tomfoolery going on, a few shenanigans. But I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. This is football. You just got to move on. And for the first half an hour of that game, we were dominated. You know, they played the ball quicker. Uh, they were stronger. They had more energy. But we went a goal up. And I thought, you know what? If we can hold on to half time, we'll be all right. We might just sneak it through. But a couple of minutes before the break, they equalised and it was backs against the wall. But we held on and they were getting cramps left, right and centre. I'm thinking, this, this, doesn't, this doesn't look too good for them, but it looks good for us because if we could take it to penalties here... We've got a chance. We've got 50-50 chance. And there you go. We won it on penalties. Pandemonium broke. I think there were about 10,000 Cypriots in the streets, you know, even though there was a lockdown. There were 10,000 Ammonia fans outside the stadium. Just, you know, it was immense. You know, the players were, were taking videos. And then we were drawn against you guys. And look, I'm not a fan of your owner or your president. Um, I have my views on him. Um, but I'm not going to get into it because this isn't the show for it. Um, <laughs> But I know there's a good relationship between Marinagis and, and Baba Stavro. We played you guys in a friendly at the beginning of the season, which we lost 3-0. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a good relationship between the two. Obviously, Matt was a, a former uh, uh, Olympiagos player. He obviously isn't playing for us now. But there's that little bit of a relationship. And I think you guys kind of fell out with Abuel at one point as well, at the beginning of the season, yes. of uh, Damari, um, mm -hmm. which I got a laugh about because they wanted 3 million and ended up selling for 900,000. Yep. There you go. Um, so, yeah, we got drawn against you guys over two legs. And I thought, you know what? 
this is a good team, Olympiagos. We saw how well you guys did last season against Arsenal in the Europa League. I, okay, I know you lost Simica, but you've got some good players. You've got Valbuena, you've got Hafinha now, you've got um, Samedo, a central defender, who's very good. Very, very good central defender. Um, and obviously the, the striker, El Arabi, who I think he skips leg day because he, he's massive on top and he's got Bambi legs, but his technique is phenomenal. Um, yeah. And I think we, we were doing well up until the... the the questionable penalty was was awarded. I think we held you guys off. We knew your game plan. You were very good mm -hmm. out wide, very reliable on the flanks. I, I can't remember if Holivas played the first leg. I can't remember if he played the left back the first leg. But Hafinha was getting forward a lot. And we limited you guys. Um, shots from outside the box. You're having half chances in and around the penalty area. But again, we looked comfortable, if that makes sense. I'm not saying we were going to go win the game, but you guys didn't threaten us enough for me to be worried. But then Lesiak conceded the penalty and that was effectively it. You guys took the lead and, and the second goal was just ridiculous. You know, the, 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 as I said, the, the close control. Okay, you took Loizu out of the game and Loizu, you know, he's only 17, 18 years old. And, you know, I think it was naivety where he was dwelling on the ball on the edge of the box. You can't do that. Um, yep. And you guys went 2-0 up and, and effectively that was, that was over as a contest. And going into the second leg, I thought, you know what, we got this far. No one anticipated us getting this far. Everyone was saying, oh, this is Omonia. They lost their best striker in the summer. They brought in five or six new players and they're not going to gel and their league form isn't great because it wasn't. But second leg, we could have had a penalty in the first 20 minutes. That might have changed the game a tad. But all in all, I'm not complaining because we lost against a team that was better than us technically, better than us tactically, more energy levels. And just better overall. So two new over two legs, I wasn't disappointed. I, okay, I was disappointed with the refereeing decisions, but this is football. And you, that's just the way it goes. You know, you've got to just take it on the chin and just move on. I, I agree with you 100%. Now, one thing, I was definitely impressed because when Red Star and Omonia drew together and we knew that the winner of that game would play against us, I watched that game. And I will say this. I was very impressed with how your team was defensively, very structured, very close, very tight together. And that was something we knew going into the game was going to happen. You guys are going to be very stalwart defensively. We saw a lot of counters going up the right side, a lot of going through, I think it was Papulis at the time. Um, so we, we knew that the game plan was pretty much we were going to be on the ball. We had to figure out how to get through, and we couldn't. And that's something that we've had issues with. We've discussed it on the pod with Libyakos. We haven't been that effective because, you know, Rafinha, as good as he is, Holebas, as surprisingly, as bionic as he is, they don't overlap like Zimikas and Omar did. They were younger. They could overlap more often. They would get forward. And we didn't have as much width as we normally would have liked to. So it our wingers then had to kind of take the onus on themselves without having that extra space or some of that relief or those outlets to get to. We saw our center midfielders kind of going out and making crosses out wide, which we didn't like. And that kind of opened up us a little bit for the counter. Um, but I was very, very impressed with your midfielders. I was impressed with your midfielders. They, they stayed in shape. Your defense was pretty packed. And it was something that I was definitely impressed with. And I thought for sure, Red, when you guys played against Red Star on paper, I thought they had the game. But then seeing how well you guys diffused pressure, countered against them, took the game, even, even though you took the game into penalties, that, that goal, the goal that you guys gave up, you guys played fantastic. You don't have to dominate a game in possession to, to play a good game. 
Yeah. Great defense covering back. It, to me, it was fantastic. And I didn't, I was maybe in the minority. A lot of people are like, oh, it's a team from Cyprus. We should beat them. There's a reason that the Cypriot coefficient is better than Greece's right now. Well, <laughs> well I don't know. you can I don't say, know. you can say know. because Apoel had a few great seasons, right? But uh, every team in Greece has a memory of losing, having a shock defeat to Cypriot teams. For us, I know in the past it's been both Apoel and Anorthosi yeah. have done it to us. It's happened to Panathinaikos. It's happened to uh, now, obviously, Bauk as well. We Cypriot teams have always – they have a history of upsetting us. And they have a history of, of playing defensively, but at least punching past where Greece can. Yeah. The thing is, Ari, when, when people talk to me about Omonia that, that don't know the club, because um, obviously I, I've got a lot of Cypriot friends, so they know a little bit about Cypriot football, but they, they're still under this illusion where it's like, oh, well, they play on horrible pitches and, you know, there are players that don't get paid on time, which is true. And there's a lot of corruption, again, which is true. But then when you look at the quality of players in this league, I'm telling you this for now, there are at least... 10 to 12 players in Cyprus who can probably play in the Bundesliga or Serie A. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you this for now because the quality might not be great, but you're going to find a few hidden gems. Buffo have got two fantastic players. They've got Valakari, that's in the Finnish national team, who scored against France uh, at the Stade de France uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, they've got a, a winger called Var, very similar to, to Raheem Sterling. I could go on about these players, but when we played you guys... My main concern wasn't the quality that you guys had. It was the energy levels that you guys had because your head coach has got you guys well-drilled and you could have gone on for 180 minutes, whereas our players looked dead in the 70th. That's because we, we were constantly trying to press. But at the same time, when you guys were getting forward, we're defending in numbers as well. So, but look, let's be 100% honest. When you look at our back line, Thomas Huberchan, he's won the Europa League with Zenit St. Petersburg. Um, Mikhail Lufna, uh, Czech international under 21 Adam Lang regular for the Hungarian national team Jan Lesiaks has played numerous Europa League and Champions League matches in the past so we've got the experience there Jordi Gomez played in the Premier League so we've got the players there but it's just at the time I think we were tactically naive in, in the encounters against you guys because I think we gave you guys too much respect if that makes sense but yeah I agree actually I agree with that there 100% and you got men like Fabiano in the sticks as well. Like he in the second game played very well, I think. You also have to remember that, you know, as we mentioned, Omonia had a much longer qualification campaign than Olympiacos did. We had that one fixture. We had those two games. You guys had to, you know, really, you had played 120 minutes of football against Red Star plus penalties and then the two legs before that. So that obviously also contributes to the freshness of the legs and whatnot. It's a lot easier for Olympiacos in that sense as well, of course, getting all the all the buys. Well, this is what I was saying to a lot of supporters at the time, Peter. But, you know, the league form wasn't great, but we had a league game. Then we had the Champions League qualifier. Then we had a league game and a Champions League qualifier. And in the league games, Henningberg was rotating. He was playing a lot of academy graduates, which, again, is something that's unheard of in Cyprus. It's unheard of to see, to see teams playing six or seven academy players. You know, we beat uh, Ayek Lanaka 2-1, a team that are going for the title we beat them 2-1 six of our players were academy graduates teenagers one of them had to go to school the next day one of them had to go back in the army the next day and we still beat them right so the quality of the, the the team is there but going back to what you were saying about playing game after game after game when you play in european competition and playing domestically and again 
back to what I was saying to, saying to these Omonia fans that were calling for Henning Berg's head when we went seven games without a win. They're saying, oh, well, how come we played well at the beginning of the season in the Champions League and it didn't reflect in the league? And I'm like, well, the intensity is different in the Champions League. Your energy levels are drained in the Champions League qualifiers. You're playing against teams that are fitter, stronger, tactically better. The concentration levels have to be in increased by 20, 30, 40%. Now, you can't expect to play against FC Buffalo at the weekend, trounce them, and then play against Red Star and expect to do the same. It's not going to happen. You're playing against players, as I said, that are far, far better than you in so many different aspects. So when our league form dipped... They were immediately saying, oh, well, it's the manager's fault. No, the manager has, has done remarkably well to get us where we are at this moment in time. And believe it or not, we went seven games without a win, five league games without a goal. And then we beat Bark and we haven't lost the game since. We've won every game since. All of a sudden, the little snails have put their heads back in the, in the shell. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you love it's it? Fickle football fans. But you see, this is the thing, mate. When you've been watching football for as long as I have, and again, this isn't me being up my own ass, I've seen it happen so many times. And you see the quality levels. You you know, you just know which team is the team that's lower down in the league, and you know the team that's in the in in the elite levels. You can tell just by just by looking at them, just by the way they're set up, their energy levels. So when I'm telling people, just keep the faith in this manager, keep the faith in these players. And don't forget, we brought in five or six players in the summer. So it's going to take time for them to gel. We struggled with goals, but hey, we scored five against Gabriel Odessa the other week. We beat Anotasi 3 0, who's supposed to be title contenders. And then we walloped up well three weeks prior to that when they were telling us, oh, well, you guys are finished. Well, you got Mick McCarthy. They are. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's funny because we, we hear a lot of the same things on our end as well. Same complaints. And, you know, we were is, with our Champions League group. And in our Champions League group, we were almost as, just as likely to finish second as fourth. You know, as much as people thought we had a better chance to get second place, there was no easy competition. There was no red star in this group. You know what I mean? Despite the fact that it's not like we were playing both Tottenham and Bayern Munich again, we had Manchester City, but Porto and Marseille were closer to our skill level, still teams with way bigger budgets than us, but something that we could, you know, punch through. And that was something that we had to deal with our fans. And maybe, well, Lombardo, I'll include in that, he also sometimes has unreasonable expectations. But you deal with the same thing, and people tend to forget that. What it boils down to is that because when your team is so successful domestically, yeah. a lot of fans think that the club can replicate that form and those performances in Europe. But let's be 100% honest, when you're playing domestically, most teams play a similar style you know, there's nothing too different about the way teams play. You kind of know how a team's going to set up. Look, even before the Bart game, I said they're going to play 4-3-3. Oh, yeah. Even when they changed their manager, I said they're going to play 4-3-3. And lo and behold, that's what they did. But when you're playing in the Champions League and European competition against clubs that, who are probably technically better than you, got, as I said before, more energy, gifted players, they're going to work to their strengths. They're not going to play to your weaknesses. They're going to play right. to their strengths. And when you play the likes of, was it City, Porto and Marseille, was it, in your, in yep. your group? Three very difficult teams. Okay, I don't know, I can't remember if, if Marseille had fans at the Velodrome, but that's a hostile place to go to. Yeah, That's a very hostile place. Porto is never easy to go to at Dragao, never. Nope. And City, well, 
you know, you know what you're going to get from them. You know, and, and, you know, either they're going to be injecting players with performance-enhancing drugs from Barcelona, or they're going to be, you know, working around FFP or something or other. Or Guardiola's going to have a breakdown on the touchline. But you know what you're going to get from City. They're, they're a quality yeah. team. So when Olympiagos fans criticise their players and the manager and everything for a bad European performance, you just got to realise this is your level. You know, this is the level that you're at. I agree with you 100%. And this is something we've talked about nonstop, about the team, how it's different, how the lack of preseason hurt us and a major part of our gameplay was affected. And sometimes you just have to, you know, realize, like, where, where you actually are. And then you have to temper your expectations. And then if anything is slightly above that, then, you know, that's it's great. It's fantastic. But if you hit where you're kind of expecting, then you can't be upset about it. It, it is what it is. Uh, now, I wanted to move from the – we, we kind of touched on your Champions League performance. Now I want to move to the Europa League. So mm. same thing. Based on the group you had, a tough group. You had PSV. Of course, Bach was in there as well. Uh, Grenada. Now, same, same question. Satisfied? Disappointed? Uh, or were you about – is this something you kind of expected? Do you know what? In terms of the performances, apart from the PSV game, our last game, which we were already out – and to be honest, even at 2-0 down, it wasn't a bad performance. The last two goals we conceded were just, you could tell they threw in the towels the last yeah. two, three minutes of the game and they knew that the game was up. But the other games, I'll tell you what, you wouldn't have thought it was a little Cypriot team playing. And I was, I was very proud of their performance because what impressed me most is that Henningberg wasn't afraid to make big decisions. And the opening few games, we were playing 4-2-3-1, we're pressing very high. But we were getting very tired. And I was speaking to, to Michael Lufner, defender, after the PSV game. Because against PSV, we were a goal up. Jordi Gomez scored from the halfway line. Or in fact, in, from uh, our own half. Oh, and we won a goal up. And the last two minutes of the first half, you could tell our players were leggy. They were getting tired. And when players are getting tired, they're losing their focus. And PSV Eindhoven's goal, the equaliser, came from a lapse, a defensive lapse. Fast forward to the second half, again, similar kind of performance. We were, were solid defensively. We were hitting them well on the counter-attack. Okay, we were a little bit wasteful in front of the goal. But the last two minutes, defensive lapse in concentration because of fatigue, and they scored the winner. I didn't see anything there from PSV to say, wow, they, they bossed us. Yeah, they had more possession. Yeah, they moved the ball quicker. That's what you expect from a Dutch team. Yep. You know, they, they, have, they have a lot of athletes. You know, they're not just footballers, they're athletes. But we went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them against Granada at home. Early goal we conceded, and that kind of throws the game plan out the window. But again, it was a solid performance. Bark away in the, in the first game. We went a goal up, and I thought, you know what? If we can hang on until maybe the last 10, 15 minutes, we'll win this game. But again, we conceded through a defensive lapse of concentration. So the goals that we conceded, granted, I hold my hands up. You know, we played against better teams. But again, it's, it's the individual mistakes that cost us. But like I said, going back to what I said about Henning Berg and how he impressed me, the last few games, you thought, you know what? We're going to keep it tight. We're not going to play 4-2-3-1. We'll go 3-4-2-1. Right? We'll, we'll implement our wing-backs because Lesex likes to get forward. Mavrias likes to get forward. Yep. If we have Shehu in the middle of the park with uh, Jordi Gomez or Vito Gomez or even uh, Gusolos, we can, we can you know, nullify these teams. And against Bark, he was brave. He played Loizu who is really more like an attacking midfielder, like a playmaker. He played him right wing back and it worked a treat because every time he was getting forward, I think it was a left back. Well, you guys scored the one goal. It came right down. Uh, it was actually your left side, their right. 
And they're yeah, right. Gave us, yeah, Kagulis gave us the lead, yeah. And their right side was awful this year. They they took forever to patch that up and find yeah. a solution for it. And was it the funny thing is, it that's correct. I, uh, it might have been. I, I, it was, I, yeah, I it, was Al, it was Rodrigo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, I, horrible. And you guys took advantage. Well, I was I was pleased with that performance because I think because we had such a bad run of form. As I said, I think it was six or seven games without a win uh, in all competitions, yep. and the knives were out for the manager. And I was always saying just stick by him because in Cyprus they change managers more than they change their underwear I mean one club this season has already gone through two managers and yeah. it's ridiculous but I know that Omoni isn't one of those clubs anymore we've got a new owner that has got a philosophy and he's he's willing to give the manager time and I think Berg had credit in the bank because of what we achieved last season and and, and this season at the start yeah. and he kept his kept faith but yeah it, we, we, we were very how can I put it we were adventurous we were brave and to score the goal that we did from, from Gagulis, again, Gagulis is a teenager, he's an academy graduate. Yep. Um, you know, a lot of people were pinned a lot of hopes in him because he's, he broke through when Derbyshire was in the tail end of his Omonia career. And people say, oh, well, he's, he's the next guy, but he's a teenager, he's still a kid. You know, he probably, I don't know if he's legally allowed to drink, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> so, you know? But but again, the thing is with Andronico, like, he was criticised after a loss against Olympiagos Nicosia because people were saying, well, you know, he didn't really take the game serious and he missed a lot of chances and people got on his back. And I actually messaged him after the game. I said, just keep working hard, mate. Just keep working hard and, you know, listen to your peers. Listen to players that have played in tournaments, in big competitions, that have won trophies. If you can't learn from them, then you've got no chance of staying at this club. And lo and behold, he worked and he worked and he worked and he got one opportunity in that game, which he scored. Okay, Bark had more possession. I think uh, Zioli is that that striker. He's he's fantastic, man. Phenomenal. He's a he's a quality striker, man. He's too good for that league. I'm sorry, he's too good well, for that league. We agree. But, we agree with you. Um, and he, and he scored. A, he scored a fantastic equalizer. But again, the desire, the determination. There's a lot of heart in this team. There's a lot of heart in this team. And just like Greece won the Euros in 2004, it wasn't just ability. It was teamwork. It was this ethic, this desire to work with each other. Players weren't arguing on and off the field. And that's what we have at the moment. So when we, we got that penalty, I had no doubt that we were going to score it. And then we held on and we won the game. So yeah, it's, it's a historic victory for us. Because like I said, we, we'd never played in a, in a group stage before. And for us to win against, especially against a Greek team who won the league a couple of seasons ago, they're no pushovers. And they Correct. beat Benfica in the, in the Champions League qualifiers. So again, I've got to say something. Yeah. Now, um, speaking on on PSV in particular, we're about to play against them in the round of 32. And we kind of wanted to pick your brain about you. You gave us some insights already briefly, and we wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what you saw, kind of like where their strengths, weaknesses, um, stuff that we've seen, and and kind of like the the data dumps we've looked at, as well as some of the the limited film we've watched. You know, they play like a Dutch team. They're pretty open. You know, I got to say it's it's kind of nice to watch their possession. A lot mm. of great link-ups, a lot of one-touch passing, something that you'd expect. They don't care what competition they're in. They're going to play open either way. They're going to dominate the ball. It's very much like uh, offense is the best defense kind of philosophy with, yep. with teams. They figure the more they're on the ball, the less you're on it. And, you know, they just hope that they can make more opportunities and score on one of them and hope that you just don't score on yours. Uh, they stick primarily with a 4-4-2, except, except when they had the COVID. There was like 13 players out with COVID. There were yeah. two games. The game against Balk and you guys, they did a 4-3-3 instead. Um, and the only team that's outpassed or outpossessed them has been Rosenberg, who they actually ended up beating in the qualifiers. So 
what players for them kind of stuck out to you? What part of their of their system did you think was the most effective? Um, with that shadow of that Marlin, the striker, yeah. I think he was in Arsenal's academy. Believe it or not, I'm I'm pretty sure that he was in Arsenal's academy a few years ago. Um, but he he's something special. He really is something special. And and the thing is, he's not. He reminds me a bit like Patrick Cliver. You know, he was very very aware of his surroundings inside the penalty box but at the same time he's not afraid to drop deep lay the ball off or even shoot from range very very dangerous player um but there's there's a they've got a central midfielder i, mean, if I wrote down his name where is it where is he I forget his name now sanagre he's from the ivory yeah. coast tall gangly central midfielder very strong very very strong and and the thing is when you see a, an african footballer that that looks like him immediately. You think Yaya Toure, don't you? A player right, like exactly. You know, but he's he's nothing like Yaya Toure. But when he's got the ball from deep, he's happy to to spray a ten yard ball to the fullbacks. He's happy to play it forward. He's he's a very, I'd, I'd say he's very versatile when it comes to his range of passing. Um, and also got Mario Goetze, who, as you guys know, won right. the World Cup with Germany. Um, they're a good team, but there wasn't anything there that made me think. Ah, you know that they're they're really dangerous. Okay, people are gonna say, well, they beat you four 0 It wasn't really a four 0 scoreline. <laughs> it really wasn't a four 0 scoreline. Right. Um, is it one penalty? Yeah. Well, there you go. So uh, over over two legs, I can't see why you guys you guys can't beat them. In all fairness, their energy levels are fantastic, though. I think they've got a very young yeah. squad. So them being young, there is a lot of naivety. And as I said, you know, we scored the goal from our own half. Their goalkeeper was miles off his line, and I think yeah. he's probably their, their their weak link. Um, but they've, they've got a good squad, a very good squad. But again, they're young, so they're still raw. They're, they're going to be naive. They're going to make mistakes. So, you know, I can't see why you guys can't turn them over. And part of part of the, I guess I'll say the weaknesses, uh, the strengths that you identified, it's very similar to kind of what what I saw. Uh, no no extreme standouts. It's mainly just, it's, it's really just the system. Um, it it kind of reminds me of when like Austria played against Greece in the national team. Like the individuals that played for Austria, there was nobody there that you saw. You were like, oh, this guy's a great player. No, they yeah. just had a functioning system that worked well, and they the players did what they were told, and that was kind of it. Now, weak points based on the games, some of the games that they've played. I've watched about six of their games in the Netherlands, all of their Europa League games, and their center backs seem pretty suspect. Every goal that they've copped in the Eredivisie games I've watched, plus the Europa League, somebody, one of those center backs is getting beaten, either on the ball, horrible positioning. How did you How did you see when you guys were playing against them? I mean, did you feel vulnerability coming from that center back position? Yeah, especially when they were pressed high up the pitch. Yep. Now, don't forget, traditionally, Dutch defenders like to bring the ball out of defense. I right. can't think of one Dutch defender that doesn't like to bring the ball out. If you look at... Van Dijk, for example, or someone like Nathan Ake, or even yeah, these these players that as good as they are defensively, they love playing football because from a young age they've been taught to play in different positions. You know, Clarence Seedorf played in practically every position when he was at Ajax. You know, I think the only position he didn't play was in goal. He played left back, right wing, wherever. So they are educated to play in various positions because they add versatility to their game. Now, when you press teams like PSV Eindhoven high you give them no option but to try and play the ball out or play the ball long. They don't like playing the ball long. So right. if you've got that press right, you're going to force them into making mistakes. And as I said, their goalkeeper is very suspect. His kicking isn't great. Yeah, he can catch the ball. His handling, mm, I don't know, distribution's all right. 
Um, so if you if you press them high, and you have the same energy, if you if you match them for running, match them for energy, you'll beat them. I think that's what we're kind of going for. Uh, you know, we've our press can be very high. Uh, mm. We tried it the first leg against Manchester City. Our press was really high. Now they're just amazing with one touch. I mean, Guardiola is like the king of tiki taka. So, you know, you can press as high as you want. These guys are going to one-touch and triangle around you. Uh, we pressed very high against Bayern Munich last year. We pressed very high against Tottenham. Almost caught Tottenham off guard. We almost beat them. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we had some lapses of our own, which cost us the game. But this is the, the press is really one of the core strengths of this team. When we press high, that's when the opportunities come. First leg when Marseille came to Greece... They had no idea what to do with it. Villas-Boas wasn't expecting us to come out and press high. There were, there were times in the game where our PPDA was less than five. You know, five touches and we're, we're going up there. That's something that I thought could be a strength for us as well. And then, of course, you know, with, with, the, Dutch with the Dutch game, overlapping wingbacks. And that's part of the reason why those center backs get caught out because those guys are all the way up. Whether it's them whipping crosses in or or playing in, making movement, there is so much off the ball movement. But then that's where the that's where the opportunity is for the counters, um, and we're kind of that. In my opinion, their offense is the best defense philosophy starts to go against them because if we are able to clog up a little bit of that midfield, press them, and really kind of take the ball away from them and run the possession against them, which I think we can. I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure we can. I think it's going to toss them out of sorts. Well, look, the, the way I see it, I think, I think Kamara, your uh, defensive midfielder, yeah. very, very good. Oh, very, yeah. very good. You know, very intelligent uh, central midfielder. Um, I wouldn't say he's like in the N'Golo Kante mode, but, you know, he, he's good on the ball. And obviously, um, you know, Buhalagis as well. He impressed me a lot, especially in the second leg. Um, but things with you guys, I think, as good as you are defensively when it comes to your, your central defensive pairing, sometimes I think Cissé can be a bit, hmm, I don't know. I you don't can know. say it. You can I say it. He I does really just, stupid he's stuff. Dodgy. He's dodgy. I saw him against Wolves. I think it was Wolves last season. So yep. Wolves in the Europa League. And I know you guys were pressing very high and, you know, your fullbacks were getting forward and you had a lot of, uh, a lot of luck, or should I say you had a lot of joy down the flanks. But every time Wolves broke forward, and I saw Jimenez bearing down on him. I'm thinking, he's got mistakes in him. He's got, and, and Semedo yeah. seems to be... Semedo good. does too, to be fair. He, he does, he does. At times. He does. But the thing is, with Semedo, I think because he's an intelligent footballer as well. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes defenders make challenges just to tell strikers that they're there. Just to yeah. give them a bit of a warning. So if you're seeing a, an early challenge, a crunching challenge in the first 15, 20 minutes... That's the defender saying to the striker, mate, you're not going to have it easy. Sometimes <laughs> it's actually intentionally done, you know. But I think Samedo's a fantastic defender. But yeah, Cissé's yeah. a bit... <laughs> yeah, I'd yeah. be a bit worried, to be fair. No, Cissé's a player... We sit every game. I mean, every game I come out and I have at least half a dozen instances where he's just... Sometimes I think he takes for granted how, how just big he is. I mean, he's a huge guy. Yeah. But, and he just likes to stick a foot out, and I think he gets lazy, especially as the game wears on and he gets tired. He's way more prone to do that. Usainu Ba is our much-preferred center back to pair with Semedo. He's a guy that, last season, most improved player, 100%. And he's a guy, the fundamentals are there. And he very rarely 
makes a mistake. Uh, you know, his first game back after he was recovering from COVID, yeah, he, you know, he had a couple of mistakes, but on the whole, it was two mistakes out of like 20 offensive duels. You know, he's, he's good long-term, and I think he's the, the clear number two. Cissé has a lot of height to him. He's, he's, he's a big guy. He wins more than he loses, but he's always good for one or two head scratchers a game, and sometimes they cost you. More often than not, especially in Europe, they do. But, but this is what I've been saying the whole time about playing domestically and playing in Europe. In Greece, he could probably get away with it because the quality yep. isn't as good as in Europe. Oh, yeah. So when you're, when you're going forward, whether it be set pieces, let's say corners or free kicks, you know that having a guy that's six foot plus in the box, very physical, good in the air, you deliver a ball in the box. If Semedo doesn't get to it, he's going to get to it. And you can do that in, in domestic games. But when you're playing Champions League and you got him up against someone like Laporte's it's yeah. a different kettle of fish because they know exactly how to defend. Don't forget, if you guys are defending zonally, it's much different to man marking. Much different to man marking. And if you've got a clumsy defender that's going man for man on a striker, you're going to see a shirt being pulled. You're going to see a little kick out. Next thing you know, it's VAR. Yeah, 100%. Stel, we've got one last question for you. We have to ask this for the Olympiacos fans out there. Go on. You guys beating Pauk now. Mm -hmm. You may not have seen this, but, you know, Pauk fans on social media, the phrase, if Olympiacos beat them, we can beat them, was, was brought up. Um, Pauk, as you said, they did win the league, one of their three league titles, I believe, in, in the history of the club. They've got a bit of a reputation for, uh, I might say, bottling. Uh, if you're not familiar with the club, they actually, as you said, they beat Benfica, and then they were up against Krasnodar in Russia with a chance to play in the Champions League, which is something that Pauk... I, I'm not sure if they've ever done. If so, nope, very rarely. Never. 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 Okay. Um, they actually made the bold decision of selling many of their, their key players, um, you know, maybe to deal with debt uh, or whatnot, but it's a bit of a head scratcher that they, they did this curiously right before their Champions League qualifier. Anyway, just sort of setting the scene with, with the degree to which they bottle things. Um, so Pauk fans were very, very high on ammonia. They thought this was going to be two wins. You know, they thought, oh, Greece, we're, we're a massive country compared to Cyprus. Olympiakos beat Ammonia. We're on the same level as them, so we can win. You know, as an Ammonia fan, a proud fan, you, you know, you said it, your, your team performed very admirably and showed the world, like, this is, you know, we play good football. We don't mess around. We're not just going to get blown out. What do you have to say to Pauk fans, you know, after they're not showing you any respect and then uh, Ammonia come in and get four points out of six? Well, to be honest, it, it didn't come as a surprise when I saw some of the comments, especially on Instagram. Um, because as you said, we're, we're seen as, you know, the little team on a little island that no one really cares too much about, that split in half. Um, but, this, but this is football. And you're going to get a, a group of fans that show no respect to their opponent. And you're going to have a group of fans that will turn around up full time and say, well, you know, you were the better team. And even though you guys on paper shouldn't have beaten us, you did. Um, the, the way I see it, mate, is there are many teams in Greece that should be performing better than what they are. Uh, I remember growing up watching Banathanaigos, you know, getting to the Champions League semi-final, losing to, to Ajax over two legs. You know, players like, you know, Vanjik in goal, players like Saravakos even before that, Borelli, all these other players. And look at where they are now. And you're asking, well, how did it come to this? And then you look at teams like Bauk, who, you know, as you quite rightly said, won the league a couple of seasons ago. They had Chubakpom up front for crying out loud. And Akpom 
couldn't even make it a Middlesbrough for crying out loud. He was one of the guys they sold right before they they had their last Champions League qualifier. There you go. There you yeah. go. And then you got a, you got an owner that comes on the pitch with a with a rifle, a revolver. For you know, what, loud, what, yeah. what kind of nonsense, foolishness is this? But their fans are very passionate. And from what I've seen, I mean, my cousin went to the Dumbay. He was a he's a Spurs fan, and he went when they played out there a few years ago. I can't remember which year it was, but they played, and he said the atmosphere was was immense. And their fans are absolute lunatics. Yep. <laughs> absolute lunatics. I think one of their isn't a priest like part of their ultras or something like that. I remember reading a story about a priest being. Uh, yes, I think that's part correct. Of um, but in, in answer to your question, now, listen, this, this is football. This is football. And there's, there's always a sense of, um, you know, snobbery when it comes to, to these kind of performances. Yep. But sometimes the big boys need to get knocked down a peg or two just to be brought down to earth. You're not wrong. And then speaking of, you know, getting knocked down, one more question for you. I'm going to ask you to, to take a look all the way down the table in Cyprus to ninth place. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I just, I need to ask you, Apoel uh, sitting in ninth, you know, after, uh, after years of success in Europe, now they're, they're down in the relegation group with, with Ermis and Nea Salamis. How much is this? This really must be bringing fast. you so much joy. Mate, let me tell you something, right? Ah, this team, okay. By hook or by crook, they managed to get away with murder. Okay? <laughs> they managed to get away with it. I call them Abu Al Qaeda. That's what I call them. <laughs> Abu Al Qaeda, right? <laughs> For years, they've been somehow getting results, getting dubious decisions. I mean, give, awarding a team a penalty when a foul's being committed two meters outside the penalty box. What is this? You know, what is this nonsense? Um, Listen, I've got no love for the club. I've got relatives that are abuelistas. You know, we get on well. Um, there isn't this intense rivalry between me and them. But um, this is a club that I, I just, it's putrid. I can't stand them. And to see them suffering the way that they are, it's, it's music to my ears. Because when you look at a team that's been dominant, and look, it, it took us seven years to beat them. You know, we, we beat them for the first time in seven years the other day, uh, the other week, shall I say. But the whole time I was hearing, oh, yeah, you guys haven't won in certain games. You've, you've lost against this similar. Beginning of the season, they had Uzunidis as their head coach, right? Yeah. Last season, they started the season with Tramezzani. They sacked him. Then they brought in Thomas Dole. They sacked him. Then they brought in Kari and Gabritsen. They sacked him. Then they brought in Uzunidis. They sacked him at the beginning of this season. It came to a point where Uzunidis, after the game against, I think it was Hermes, where they drew, he said, it's got nothing to do with me. It's the players, right? They've got a chairman and a, and a president who, as I said, gets away with murder. He's got people in the Cypriot FA in his back pocket. Against us, they fielded four players with COVID, knowing that they had COVID. Jesus. Knowing that they had COVID, they fielded them. Right? And this is something that's been wrangling for the past couple of weeks now because we've made a complaint. We've been on money. We've made a complaint to the Cypriot FA. We've made a complaint to um, the Cypriot government about this. Abuel are, 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 you know, saying, oh, we knew nothing about it. Well, how is that even possible? How can you not know that four of your players yeah. had COVID? Did you, did you not test them? You know, but they sacked, they sacked, um, they sacked Uzunidis at the beginning of, uh, middle of, sorry, end of October, because I was out in Cyprus at the time. And, you know, their chairman was saying, oh, we're going to bring in someone new, someone young, someone full of ideas that's going to promote youngsters. They did the opposite. They, they brought in Mick McCarthy. Mick fucking McCarthy, right? 
And they, they, they're paying players like Nuhu £10,000 a week. They couldn't make it at Sheffield Wednesday. They're paying, you know, Glonaridis £8,000 a week. Yep. What are you doing? €8,000 Euros a week for that? I'm sorry, you know? But for me, it's laughable because all I've been hearing for God knows how long, how they're the biggest team in Cyprus, how they're the best team in Cyprus. Well, I'm sorry, as I said, life comes at you fast, right? We've got a, a president that's a businessman, okay? Look into Baba Stavru. He's actually in America right now. He's in New York right now. He's a businessman. Right? You look at the whole dynamic of the club when you look at even the merchandise, for example. Right? They don't just sell scarves and flags. They sell cups. They sell glasses. They sell anything that you can imagine because the club is now a business. And granted, we've got a lot of supporters that don't like it because before it was owned by the fans and the club has lost its yeah. you know, socialist view, so to speak. But if you want to move forward and be uh, self-sustainable, you've got to move with the times. And that's what this club are doing. But before in the past, we had owners and a board that probably would have bent over and probably would have taken a donkey or some other lemon and, and being happy with any kind of nonsense that happens in Cyprus. We now have a president that says, don't fuck with my money, right? So he will do things the legal way. So Abor can release their little statements and being patronising. He'll put out a, 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 an Instagram post saying, well, listen, you guys were saying, how did anyone know about COVID? Well, you were the ones that told us that your players have COVID. Anyway, I'm not going to go into this, this team. They, 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 I've wasted too much breath on them, enough as it is. <laughs> did I tell you I prank called them at the beginning of the season? <laughs> you, did, you mentioned <laughs> that. I wanted to ask you about that. Well, it was, um, we, we played, uh, well, sorry, it was, it was the, the day before they had a champ they had a european a european league qualifier against gujilati or whatever they're called i don't know no disrespect sorry i couldn't even pronounce it, their name and um i called up abo's offices the uh, that morning sorry it was the wednesday morning P apologies I, I called them up on the wednesday morning and uh, they answered the phone i says yeah i'm calling from the the no chofters network now you guys are from greece so you don't know what choftes are, but in Cyprus, choftes is another word for bellares or sakramares or just new, n being silly, you know, nonsense, right? right? And it's a, it's, it's a village Cypriot word and it, it, people kind of latched onto it. Anyway, so I called them up and said, yeah, I'd just like to wish you guys luck on your Champions League qualifying match tonight. Um, and the first thing she says, it goes, oh, we're not playing tonight. We're playing tomorrow in the Europa League. I says, Europa League? Oh, I thought you were in the Champions League. She goes, no, no, no. Omonia are in the Champions League. I said, oh, Omonia are in the Champions League. I'm so sorry about that. My apologies. I just apologised and hung, hung up. And then I put it on my Instagram. Next thing I know, I'm seeing these alerts on my phone from Omonia fans that aren't following me. And then they started following me. And then, oh, you're really funny. This and that. Da, da, da. And then I've got an Aboil fan threatening to stab me. I've got an Aboil fan saying that he's got a good uh, psychologist that he can refer me to. And it was crazy. And next thing you know, I've got like, 3,000 views on my Instagram for this video. I made the Cypriot press, made about four pre uh, news, um, <laughs> news outlets out there. It was crazy. Like this English Cypriot prank calls uh, up oil. Is, but yeah, it's, yeah. Well, still, I'm sure you probably know this already, but yeah, I mean, these up oil clowns in your comments, all you have to do is just give them the, the good old fashioned, sorry, I can't hear you from that far down on the table. You well, know? yeah. Listen, <laughs> well, right know, down. It, it was funny because I, I was joking at the beginning of the season because they were they were slipping out. In fact, they were ninth, you know, in August, no October, beginning of October. And I said, why don't you change your name to AP Nine EL because you know that that looks better, doesn't it? I did this. I did this Instagram video. I was like, I was, I was looking at the the table on my other phone. And I was like, 
what is what is a uh, German for no? Oh yes, nine. <laughs> oh my god! You know, just little. But the thing is, people love these videos. People love them, and, and the thing is, the players love them as as well. That I'm not going to mention names, but I've recently done a, a video compilation of Abwell's fuck ups, um, and I've had three or four or one of your players messaging me saying this is bloody hilarious. I'm not going to mention who they are, but <laughs> you know, I, I had someone from the club on the medical staff message me a few weeks ago. So still your videos like really motivate the players. Like they watch your videos before the game and they go out on the pitch and it, it's crazy. I've got to know some of them on a personal level as well. And met up with one of them when I went to Cyprus and he gave my, he gave me a signed shirt for my nephew. who's a massive Omonia fan who's in the army at the moment. And he gave me his shirt from the Red Star Belgrade game. He signed it for him and gave it to me and I gave it to my, my nephew. So yeah, it's, it's a great club, man. It's a great club. And you know, as much as Man United is my English team, I'd never feel the way I do about Omonia. Do you know what I mean? They're just an amazing club from top to bottom. And the fans are just, yeah, anyway. Before we close out, I wanted to draw like one parallel into the business model approach you brought up. Uh, we've had similar arguments. I mean, I've had arguments with Lamro mm. about it on the podcast, my co-host, and some of our fans, because I agree with you 100%. Small clubs, I mean, look, Olympiacos in the grand scheme of things, we're a small club, you know. Sure, we might, you know, we might be bigger just because Greece is bigger than Cyprus, you know. But in the grand scheme of things, we make a fraction of the revenue as teams in England, as teams in Spain, even in Germany. This is all stuff we posted on our Twitter in terms of the gap. So in order for us to succeed, we have to have a proper business model, whether it's developing, selling players. You have to operate like a business. A lot of people like our older owner, Kokali, because Kokali used to throw money into the club, you know, before FFP was a thing, bringing huge players, Giovanni, Rivaldo, you know, and Marinaiki is kind of going in a different route. He's trying to get more players for the academy, develop and sell off. That's the model that we have to run in if we, one, want to have a healthy balance sheet, not run into debt. Everyone seems to forget that right before Mighty Nike bought the club, we had eight figures of debt and Mighty Nike paid it off. And now the club, he can sell it whenever. And we, we have a balanced budget. We're selling. We have a great academy now. We've, we've dumped so much money to the academy. We have players going places when none of our products went anywhere before. So th that model is really important for clubs like us to succeed that don't have the revenue of it, a Premier League, a Bundesliga, a Spanish league, and to actually do something in Europe and compete with big European teams. It's the only way we can do it. So I'm happy to hear that another club has developed that business model and is really flourishing from it. Well, Ari, the, the thing is, as, as small as Ammonia are, people forget that there are millions of Cypriots around the world, Australia, right. Russia, America, yeah. Canada, and there are supporters of those of, of clubs from around the world. But, you know, I've been messaged by people in Australia, in the United States saying that they're Omonia fans and they, they watch the videos and that kind of stuff. And then you look at Omonia's website that's been completely revamped since uh, Baba Slavra came over and you look at the bottom and it re reminds me of Man United's website where you see commercial partners you know, yeah. And you, you'd never see that with separate teams before. But that's because you've got to move forward if you want to progress. Now, yep. it's all well and good having a sugar daddy president like, you know, FC Buffer, 
who've got a Russian billionaire owner to, uh, that signs players in the front and center. But where's your business model? It's not sustainable. You, you can sign all the players you want and try the whole money ball effect. But right. more often than not, how many times are you going to unearth a gem? Someone that you're going to be able to, to, to sell on for bigger value. We're lucky as are many others because our youth academy, thanks to Jesper Fredberg, three, four years ago, was completely revamped. And he saw that Omoni was is a massive club in Cyprus. And he thought, right, we're not going to look at players just in Nicosia. We're going to go to Limassol. We're going to go to Buffalo. We're going to go all over the yeah. island and bring out as many of the best youngsters as we, as we can. And this season, we've seen Johnny's, who is going to be an absolute star. He is, um, make, honestly, I've seen a lot of youngsters break through uh, at football clubs. But I've never seen a Cypriot like him. He's, he's phenomenal. Uh, Loizu, 17, 18 years old. Kakulis, Haralambos, Kiriagidis. And these are all youngsters that have played for the national team, right? They're, they're regulars for the national team, teenagers. That was unheard of four or five years ago. Cyprus, we're, we're used to playing 36-year-old, you know, Portuguese player that's got his citizenship because he's been in the island for, on the island for five years. You know, yeah. okay, Marcatha, he's accepted payments and bribes. So I'm not going to talk about him again. <laughs> he plays for the goddess. I don't want to talk about him. But, you know, we've moved away from that now. And I think because we've got a fantastic Belgian head coach who was the under-21 head coach when he had the likes of Benteke and Batshuayi, yeah. he's come in as a separate national team head coach. And he's completely revamped. He's like, right, we've got a lot of youngsters, a pool of youngsters. Let's give them a chance. Okay, the results haven't been great, but the performances have been good. You know, and you just build on that. But with Greece, is it Van, is it Van Schip that's head coach at the moment? Yep. Yeah. yeah? Uh, unfortunately, you guys haven't got that pool of talent there, which is bizarre. Pardon me, because Greece is such a huge nation. But I'm not seeing a lot of youngsters being called up into the national team. You're seeing the same names, you know, every every squad. It's bizarre. <laughs> and we've got There's... Mavrias. He's our yeah. right back. He's in the national team. Yeah, let's, he'll let's, be there next season, but. let's move on. Let's move on. We don't want to talk about the <laughs> <laughs> We have we have our own. There's players that are there that either get benched or not called up, but we're not going to go there. You I mean, Solis doesn't play enough, but, but whatever. <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I'm glad Cyprus is doing well. I'm glad Omoni are doing well for your sake, Stel. Um, we're going to wrap it up there, but before we do let you go, uh, we want to give you the opportunity to promote yourself, plug your your social media or the podcast, you know, um, I'm sure the listeners would like to listen to Shoot the Defense if they're not already. So, you know, where can people listen to that and where can people keep up with you on social media? Yeah, so Shoot the Defense is available on most uh, audio platforms, uh, Audio Boom, Amazon now, believe it or not, um, iTunes. We, we, we're back on YouTube now. We didn't do that many videos on YouTube, but now I've lost a bit of weight, so I'm happy to be on screen. <laughs> um, yeah, so my, my co-hosts are Rodri Giggs, who, as you're probably aware of, is, is Ryan Giggs' brother. He did a fantastic advert for Paddy Power, the, the, the betting company taking the piss out of his brother. Um, and also Steve Ayer. Steve Ayer is a former Manchester City coach. He was coaching them when they won the FA Youth Cup in 2008. So he had the likes of Trippier, Sturridge, me, uh, all these other players. So there's there's two lads that know football and then there's me. <laughs> and we often get, get guests on. So you guys are more than welcome to jump on. We, we accept anyone on the pod. Um, it's fun. It's a bit of a laugh. We review Premier League games. Um, we don't take things too serious, but at the same time, you know, we know people are watching and people are listening from all over the world. So we try to maintain some form of profession professionalism. I can't even say that word. Um, so, yeah, uh, we're on Twitter at Shoot the Defence, uh, YouTube Shoot the Defence. And also, if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's Charlie Hotel Echo Sierra Tango Echo Lima Chase Dell.
That's my Instagram. So you're going to see it on one of your videos, left, right, and center. And I'll be taking the piss out of a lot of people, including myself. <laughs> Especially if I get COVID, if I need to do my test tomorrow. So if I get oh, COVID, boy. No, I'm, I'm already I'm already planning my funeral procession. Right? <laughs> we'll, we'll hope for the best. Yeah. Well, and I shouldn't uh, laugh about it. I shouldn't laugh, but I'm so self-deprecating. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. When Apoel drop into the relegation zone and sack Mick McCarthy, we'll have you back on the podcast he, again. Mick can... McCarthy, he's the greatest thing to ever happen to <laughs> The coaching carousel with... stops here. Yeah. If he signs <laughs> Burn as well, sign Burn because he's good at breaking his own teammates' legs, as we've seen at Oldham, but I'm not going to go into that. Oh <laughs> well, that's... Um... Thank you so much, Stel, for coming on. We had a great time. Thank and, you um, very much. Yeah, shoot the defense podcast, folks. A great time, as Stel said. Um, a lot of really interesting names and faces on there. So give it a listen if you're interested. Thank you so much to everyone who's listened to this episode, especially if you've made it this far. This is our last episode of 2020. Um, we assume you're probably listening to this around the new year. So uh, we just want to say, uh, as this having been our first year of the podcast, thank you so much for all your support. Um, you know, we only started in August and we've had a jolly time ever since uh, putting out episodes twice a week for you all to listen to. And we're going to keep it up in 2021, hopefully more exciting special guests, more exciting games and more fun uh, and getting all the listeners involved. Feel free to interact with us on social media at Gate7INTL on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and Reddit. And uh, we will be back with the return of the Super League uh, this weekend and our interview with Yannick Atriciotis, Adi's coach, coming out on Monday, January 4th. So everyone have a wonderful new year and we will see you very soon.